Hello, my name's Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. Coming up today, Tom will look at a week of incidents affecting the aviation industry, while I look at the all-Boeing airline defecting to Airbus. I'll take a look at a big deal going down in Norway, while Joe recaps her conversation with the CEO of my airline, Rainer Theo. Finally, Tom will explore how Germany is making it easier for some people to enter the country. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And I mean, a week of aircraft incidents, it's not really breaking uh, in terms of the news meaning (laughs) of that word. Um, Because, you know, we have incidents all the time, but there's just been quite a few... um, quite a few bigger ones this week and all of them appear to have been breaking in the other sense of the word in that um, the aircraft couldn't immediately be used or even used at all afterwards. (laughs) Um, So I wanted to start start small with uh, Wednesday, last Wednesday, a Southwest Airlines 737 had just landed at Jacksonville International Airport in Florida. Uh, It was flight number 5122 from Houston Hobby Airport. And, you know, it landed without incident and it was just taxiing in towards the gate. I believe it was um, being held um, at some other area waiting for the stand to become free. And the aircraft managed to taxi into a light pole. Uh, oh so it hit the edge of its its wing against this. And, you know, this is not the first time that this has happened. Um, maybe for Southwest it is. But um, I remember, I feel like there was another story. I don't want to name the airline because I can't mm. think of it off the top of my head. But I think it was a 777 somewhere did a similar thing. Um, and, you know, these things, these poles are quite sturdy and they will just cut through an aircraft wing like butter. <laughs> um, so, you know, not ideal. This aircraft had quite a bit of damage on the end of the wing. It looks like um, where the lights were on the leading edge have has been completely destroyed. So I guess that is going to be in maintenance for quite some time. But that one certainly doesn't look like a write-off. You know, I think that's that will be quite a fairly easy fix. you just got to check the structure is okay and mm. um, replace the little bits. Um, what might be a slightly more tricky fix happened in Dublin on Sunday, and that was with a American Airlines Boeing 787 Dreamliner. Um, it's quite interesting because you can see pictures of it on our website shared uh, by others on Twitter. And basically, the, the the easiest way to describe it is the jet bridge just gave up on life. Um, <laughs> you know, it was attached to the aircraft's, uh, I think, in the second door, the one right in front of the wing. Um, and while the door was open, the, uh, the j- uh, jet bridge just collapsed. Oh, uh, obviously, because aircraft doors open outwards and to the side it took the aircraft door off with it so there's this quite interesting um photo where you can see a hole in the side of the aircraft without a door and uh, other photos just show the door lying underneath the aircraft on the tarmac which itself isn't ideal um (laughs) the incident was attended by the airport's fire department but american airlines told us that there were no customers or crew on board the aircraft at the time so uh, mm. They didn't have to get anyone off. Um, they sent a replacement aircraft to operate the service. But again, you know, I don't know how long that is going to take because I don't know how I, I, you don't, I don't really know how these doors are constructed, whether they're kind of designed with maybe this would happen in mind or if this is really going to mess with the sort of structure of the aircraft where the door is. So 
Um, that's one to watch out for. That's obviously not going to fly for a bit longer. Um, one uh, Another air incident happened in Mogadishu in Somalia, and this air happened yesterday as we're recording this, so on Tuesday. But this aircraft definitely isn't going to fly again. So uh, oh this was a Hala Airlines Embraer 120, which is a sort of small propeller twin propeller aircraft um, as it was landing in Somalia the um, the gear reportedly failed so the aircraft came off of the runway and photos of it now show that the um, you know you've got the typical sort of airplane breakup where the nose is coming off um, and the the fuselage is quite bent thankfully in this case though um, reports are suggesting that everyone escaped with minor injuries uh, which I mean considering that the cockpit has been pretty much ripped off I think is pretty good um, for for that sort of that sort of incident and the last one I just wanted to quickly talk about because I couldn't not talk about the A380 for like a <laughs> fifth or sixth week in a row uh, involves Emirates and this also happened yesterday evening um, an Emirates A380 landing at Gatwick Airport became stuck on the runway for nearly 45 minutes, which meant the runway was essentially closed to others. Um, the details on that one are still coming in, but it seems initially as though there was a, a um, front landing gear fault, which meant that the aircraft couldn't steer off of the runway. Um, Emirates told us that the aircraft faced a technical fault and was immediately met by ground units. All 408 passengers on board were safely disembarked and the runway was cleared after a 29-minute delay. Necessary inspections were carried out and the flight departed for Dubai with a 2-hour and 10-minute delay. So that one, you know, clearly the whatever caused this wasn't a real big issue because mm. the aircraft wouldn't have been cleared to fly back to Dubai if it was. Um, but that's kind of my little incident wrap-up for this week. Uh, let's see what <laughs> next week holds. Absolutely. Fewer on-ground incidents, hopefully, because mm. uh, it's never good news. And I'm sure there's some pilots in a bit of trouble for that light pole incident. Mm. Um, well, and yeah. a, a jet bridge manufacturer may be in trouble for the other one. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but uh, one thing we love a little bit more than incidents, maybe, is uh, mm. orders. I don't know. Tom's, Tom's looking frowny. <laughs> It we do like orders they are. <laughs> we do like a nice order. We particularly like a nice order when it shakes things up a bit. Um and when you've got an all Boeing airline that decides to order some Airbus aircraft, you know, we get quite excited. So this excited. of course <laughs> I get quite excited. This of course is Iceland Air, which has switched allegiance from Boeing with a surprising order for the forthcoming long range narrowbody from Airbus, the A three two one XLR. Um, so the Icelandic carrier last week placed a firm order for 13 of the type, um, which won't be delivered until quite late this decade, um, but mm. we'll come back to that in a minute. The A321XLR is set to begin delivering to other airlines in 2024, so we will see this aircraft a bit sooner. Um, and speaking about the order, the airline CEO, Boggy Nils Boggerson, said, the efficient A321XLR will further strengthen our business model, increase our flexibility, and provide opportunities for future growth, as well as supporting our sustainability efforts. So 
so as I mentioned, you know, there's a fairly large backlog at Airbus for the Neo family of aircraft. Um, they're actually expecting Iceland Air to begin receiving the XLR in 2029, which feels like wow. forever away. Um, <laughs> but Iceland Air is keen to put the, its new manufacturer's products into use a little bit quicker than that. Um, and as such, it's secured a lease for four of the A321LRs from SMBC. Um, it's going to be getting those possibly as soon as next year. Um, so it gives it an eventual fleet of 17 Airbus airplanes. And it's the only Airbuses it's going to operate, unless it orders some more, of course. Um, but, you know, for a European airline that traces its routes back nearly like 90 years, Iceland Air has been remarkably distant from Airbus. So I looked at its historical fleet types. They've flown all sorts of things. Douglas, Fokker, Grumman, Vickers, Lockheed, much, you know, many other types. Um, but its modern fleet, its kind of contemporary fleet for the last 20 years or so has been all Boeing. Um, at the moment, it's got the Boeing 767, 757 and the 737s, and it's got both the Max and the NG in its fleet. Um, there's also a handful of DHC-8s for the regional routes. But out of those planes, the real thorn in its side is the 757. It's really been a backbone of Iceland Air's long-haul operations out of hmm. Keflavik. You know, it's... Are they still flying it? They are, yes, oh, there's okay. still some, yes. Um, wow. <laughs> I flew on one, uh, gosh, when was it I went? I think it was November last year. Mm. Um, it was very nice, actually. I flew out on the 7.5 and then came back on the Max. Um, and comparatively, you know, they were both very nice flights. So nothing bad to say about the 7.5.7. I think it's a great aircraft. Mm. Um, for Iceland Air, obviously, it's got the range to serve both Europe and North America. It's very economical because it's a narrow body. It's easy to turn around. It doesn't have lots of seats that they can't fill. But of course, they're very old. Um, in fact, Iceland Air's fleet averages more than 20 years, but some individual 7.5s are more than 30 years old. So really quite long in the tooth for a commercial airline fleet. Um, it's already made its intentions to phase out the type clear, and they want the 757 gone by 20 2026. Now, of course, there's no replacement for the 757 from Boeing, or not directly anyway. The the biggest or the closest that comes to it is the 73710. Um, mm. It's not as big, and it is as yet uncertified. <laughs> so, um, you know, it was in consideration, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, when we spoke to Mr. Bogerson back in January, he told us, we're not waiting for Boeing. We want to grow, we want to develop our network, but the MAX is not going any further than Seattle. So in the past, we've flown to the likes of San Francisco and other places on the West Coast. There are opportunities out there that the MAX cannot fulfill. So this is Boeing's kind of Achilles heel, if you like. Um, right now, Iceland Air is flying the 757-200 to places like Seattle, Portland, Vancouver. Um, the 767 is also deployed to Seattle sometimes for capacity and freight reasons. The MAX 8 will be used on Vancouver this winter. But if they had the XLR and when they get the XLR, there's lots more destinations that could be opened up. I mean, you're talking San Francisco, Miami, Los Angeles. Um, Iceland Air did used to serve San Francisco just before the pandemic. It flew both the 767 and 757 there um, it's now defunct competitor Wow Air if you remember those purple guys um, they flew to both Miami and Los Angeles where didn't they... they fly I think that was part of their problem <laughs> <laughs> they did have a lot of, lot of routes very quickly Iceland Air's never flown to either of those destinations but it could and they could be strong contenders for XLR routes um, 
So when we chatted to Bogerson back in January, he said that they were discussing with both Airbus and Boeing about fleet replacements. And he said at the time, you know, the A321LR and the XLR were both very attractive airplanes. So it seems now the decision's been made. The 757 will be replaced by the 321. Um, but of course, it is a bit of a challenge for the airline because all of its pilots are type rated on Boeing equipment. Its entire MRO strategy is Boeing specific. But you know it's clearly a challenge it's willing to take in order to get the right fleet type for its needs um for boeing it's a bit of a kick in the teeth as it loses yet another loyal customer for want of a new mid-sized airplane Hmm. boeing said in the past that the nma project is not being pursued with any determination not right now at least so you know we could see more 757 operators swayed towards the airbus alternative as time goes on Um, Hmm. but i'm excited to see airbus planes at iceland air i think it'll be good yeah, I mean, it's good to have a mix always. Um, well, it depends. It's always good to have a mix when you want to pay for a mix, but it, then as soon as you don't... <laughs> I mean, the problem is, you know, obviously, if they only had the max, and then that a few years ago, that would have been, been an issue. Um, mm. But yeah, you know, let's see see what it holds for them. Definitely. I wanted to hop across... Um, I don't know what that bit of water up there is called, but... Um, across that bit of water to Norway Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about some consolidation going on in the country uh, because I had to bust out my wonderful Photoshop skills the other day to come up with some illustration of Videro and Norwegian because Norwegian is now going to buy Videro and surprisingly there's uh, despite the fact that they fly to a lot of the same places Mm. there's not really any photos of them together in existence Um, (laughs) I looked I don't even have something so um, that was that, but um, the, the, what, what's going on basically is that um, Videro has essentially said that um, they said, although we've got a solid footprint in Norway, we're smaller in an international context and the mm. tax level for air travel in Norway is particularly high. So this, in combination with fierce international competition, makes it difficult for a smaller regional airline to persevere uh, without a strong partner. So they've now found a strong partner, and that is Norwegian, who you remember only maybe four years ago was on the verge of bankruptcy itself. Um, they seem to have, have really um, turned themselves around um, because they are going to be paying 1.125 billion Norwegian krona, uh, which is equivalent to around 105 million uh, US dollars. And, you know, I was like, is it billion or million uh, krona? But then I was like, there's no way they're spending only $10 million on this airline <laughs> uh, or um, $100,000 on the airline. So anyway, um, they said the price could be adjusted depending on the profitability for the remainder of the year. Um, and the deal is due to close by the end of 2023. Of course, you know, you've got all of these usual caveats of regulatory approval from the competition authorities and whatnot. Um, This is the thing that I find quite interesting because together the two would have 70% of the Norwegian domestic market. So Mm. to me, that would be kind of like a bit of a flag for the competition authority. Mm. Um, We'll have to wait and see on that front. But the airlines say that not much is going to change sort of straight away. Videro is going to continue to operate as its own company. Employees will work under their own companies, keep their existing collective agreements, keep their uniforms, and Videro is going to uphold all of its existing agreements with other airlines. So it seems more of a money thing right now than a sort of mishmash of the airlines type thing. Hmm. Um, But, you know, obviously you would expect if it does go through that they at least 
try to synergize a bit. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm a bit surprised, to be honest, that Norwegian is out there splashing the cash, you mm. know, just a year or so after it was bankrupt. Um, it's a bit of an odd move, but I guess if Vidaro need the help, then, you know, it's good that the national airline is stepping in to give the help, but a bit of a weird one there. Um, I hope that Vidaro keep their branding and I hope they mm. keep their lovely hopper service that goes all up the Norwegian coast because I really wanted to take that flight. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I mean, who knows? Um, it, it's good that something's being done, I guess, but I see where you come from too. <laughs> well, something that I love maybe even more than aircraft orders is startup airlines. You know that I love to interview the CEOs of startups and see what their plans are. And I got the opportunity to interview the CEO of an exciting Asian airline called My Airline, which you may guess from the name MY Airline. It's, is it's, it mine? Do I own it now? It's not yours. It's oh, okay. um, MY is like the universal shorthand for Malaysia. Oh, um, <laughs> so uh, this airline was actually set up in 2021, but it didn't take its first flights until December last year. Um, since then, it's been operating solely within Malaysia. Well, until the end of last month, which I'll come to in a minute. Um, so I asked their CEO, a lo lovely chap called Rainer Teo, um, what the opportunity was he saw. And he said that although there are other low cost carriers in Malaysia, they're all kind of a mishmash of operating models. And he thought there was opportunity for a true low-cost carrier with great customer service to snag some of that traffic. He expected a lot of pent-up demand post-pandemic. He wasn't wrong about that. Um, but his focus at the moment is on reliability. He wants to be on time all of the time. And in fact, in June, they achieved a 95% on-time performance, which is pretty good. Um, that was helped a little bit by Malaysian airports not having the same capacity issues we've got in other parts of the world. Um, but, you know, he thinks that won't go on forever. But at least for now, the plan is working. Right now, it's a very small airline. It's just got eight A320 COs. Um, mm. They chose that aircraft because there's lots of used COs in the Malaysian market. There's good availability of spares and lots of people with the skills to fly and maintain them. Going forward, however, the airline is looking to order some brand new planes. It's also not a given that they'll stick with Airbus because Rayner said they're actually talking to both large manufacturers already and they're hoping to make an announcement before the end of this year. Um, Are they and, going to be the opposite of Iceland Air then? <laughs> maybe so. They, they won't be looking to lease. They will be looking to purchase their fleet. They're hoping to have 20 airplanes flying by the end of this year, all of which will be leased. But within five years, they're targeting a fleet size of 80, most of which will be owned. So there could be a nice big announcement coming along maybe mm. um no plans for wide bodies at the moment but you know things do evolve he said never say never ceos love saying that to me <laughs> so in terms of setting up an airline in the current environment you know there's lots of publicized issues with recruitment but he said they've had no issues finding the right talent for the operation yet however he does foresee a potential tussle for talent in the future particularly as the airline grows if they get to that 80 aircraft size within five years um, to help with this though they are planning to set up a training academy in the future he says it won't happen until the airline is operating at a scale that can support training simulators and all the hours they need to put in for that so it's at least a couple of years away but definitely in the plan mm. um 
But we talked a little bit about demand. Um, in terms of its success, it's been averaging a 92% load factor up until May. And then in June, they achieved a 96% load factor. So it's been pretty, pretty good and well in demand. Um, he's calling this phase phase two of its expansion so phase one was malaysia phase two sees it going international and in fact its first international services to bangkok started at the end of june um it's actually operating weirdly to both bangkok airports so the savannah Bumi and the other one which i also can't pronounce um and it's the first malaysian airline to operate to both those airports didn't really get to under the skin of why um but i guess there's pros and cons with flying to both airports. I mean, um, you, you, you kind of say that, but then you have carriers like Turkish, sorry for <laughs> interrupting right. no, again, no. but um, <laughs> you've got carriers like Turkish serving Gatwick, Stansted and Heathrow. Mm. So uh, it kind of makes a little bit of sense to me, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure there's like reasons that you'd want mm. to fly into the international, you know, particularly if you're connecting on. And there's reasons you'd want to fly into the smaller airport, maybe to get an easier transition out of the airport mm. i don't know um but anyway both of those flights have now launched and that's not the end of the international expansion they're already talking to indonesia vietnam singapore so i think we can expect lots more exciting route announcements in the coming months um but you'll note that these are just southeast asian destinations and absolutely that will be the focus for the short term uh, but, you know, Rainer said in order to fill all those planes in the longer term, they're going to be looking at destinations everywhere within the range of the aircraft they have. So, you know, that could mean parts of India, Australia, Japan, China. Um, you know, they have to consider all destinations in order to have enough to fill up all 80 planes that they want to get within five years. Mm. Um at the moment, they don't want to set up any hubs or bases outside of Malaysia. However, the hub development within the country is on a pretty impressive scale. So just in Malaysia, the airline plans to set up at least one hub a year and has a target of six in the first five years of its life. Um, so, you know, lots of expansion going on and very much a Malaysia-focused airline. We did talk a little bit about sustainability. I felt it was a little unfair to us so early in the airline's journey, but it's such a big thing at the moment. You've got to have the conversation. Mm. Um, so, you know, he has got some clear goals. There's already discussions ongoing with the National Petroleum Company for SAF supply, but it's starting from a good place, particularly because of its seats. So um, my airline is actually the launch customer for Italian seat manufacturer Gevin's super light economy seats. Now, these seats are super slim, um, but very ergonomic. So you don't notice that they're very thin. And per aircraft, they save around 900 kilograms of CO2. So you can imagine you multiply that up across the fleet and it starts to become a significant amount. Um, I haven't ever tried them. Like I say, they're the launch customers, so I don't think anyone's tried them apart from people that have flown my airline. But I'd love to hear from you if you've tried them, if they are as comfortable as they say. Um, one of the things it won't be doing for sustainability is removing trolley service because ancillary revenue, as per most low-cost carriers, is a massive part of the business model. Um, as well as the kind of onboard service, they also already sell travel insurance and this month they're going to be launching sales of hotels through their app. Beyond that, there's going to be lots more products added to the service as time goes on. Um, but core to everything is customer service. Uh, you know, I said at the beginning that they wanted to be reliable, they wanted to be a customer favourite. So, 
with that in mind they don't have any call center people get really frustrated when they're on hold trying to get through to a person on the phone um but instead they chat with their customers and not by a chat bot um most of the other you know he didn't mention any names but apparently most of the other malaysian low-cost carriers use chat bots they have real people sitting in an office not automated responders so you can have a proper conversation with the chat and you can get through to people much quicker um so I mentioned this was phase two of the expansion. So what's phase three? Well, he explained it's all about consolidating back to Malaysia and connecting all the dots, you know, in- increasing frequencies as more airplanes come online and really becoming the low cost carrier of choice for the country. So it's not an airline that I've ever flown and it'll probably be a while before I do because I don't have any plans to go to Southeast Asia this year, very sadly. Wow. <laughs> but uh, it's definitely one I'd love to fly. And I think they'll be giving the local low cost carriers a bit of a run for their money because he seems mm. to have his head very well and truly screwed on. Mm. Well, I guess they're not going to be coming to Frankfurt anytime soon. So the I'm afraid not, The Tom. next part isn't going to be so relevant to these passengers. But uh, <laughs> with my wonderful segue, I wanted to wrap up by talking about some innovation that's been happening in Germany across um, eight international airports. And um, I'll start off with a little anecdote. So a lot of the times I was standing in passport queues coming into Germany... I was watching people, um, people who are not resident in the EU um, would come come in and they would be asked all these questions like, how long are you staying? Where are you staying? Can we see your return tickets? And then you would get uh, permanent residents would walk up and they would just get their passport checked, their residence card checked and let through. And I always thought to myself, you know, these people are known to the German authorities why aren't they allowed to use the e-gates? And I always thought this was just a bit of a wacky thought that I was having, but apparently not so much because the Bundespolizei or the uh, German Federal Police have now opened up the e-gates at eight international airports to permanent residents um, who are resident in the country. So to be able to use it now, you have to be... um, uh, Already you could use it if you were EU... European economic area or a Swiss citizen that was at least 12 years old. Um, now, as long as you're at least 12 years old and you have a German residence permit, you can also use them. Mm. And there was also a sort of weird extra system before where travellers from the USA, Hong Kong, South Korea and Taiwan could um, could pre-register to use the system. Um, the idea behind that is kind of that it's a reciprocal from things like global entry in the US. Um, but it's not very widely used as far as I'm aware. Um, Also, passengers who have a Category D long-stay visa can use the system, but they can only use it um, if they pre-register with the immigration authorities and when leaving Germany. Um, It's now, as I said, in eight airports. So Berlin, uh, Brandenburg, the new one, uh, has finally opened. (laughs) Um, Maybe that's what they were waiting for. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Um, Cologne, Dusseldorf, Frankfurt, Hamburg, Hanover, Munich, and Stuttgart. And um, there's, I think, 255 lanes in total that are now open. So, um, you know, I think it's going to have a real impact to a lot of people who are coming in and out of the country quite often. Because if you think about... Um, about this, you know, like maybe some Germans are only traveling for vacation, but if you're an expat in Germany, you're going to be wanting to go back to see your family and stuff. So uh, Mm. I think for a lot of travelers, this is going to have a big impact. And uh, I'm just hoping that um, it doesn't upset the people who can already use the (laughs) e-gates because... 
when I was flying several weeks back, maybe in March even, um, to go through the E-Gates. I was traveling so early, not the E-Gates even, that uh, they didn't have a separate lane open for EU passport holders. Everyone was in one lane, and there were a lot of EU passport holders getting a bit angry with the staff that they weren't <laughs> able to use the E-Gates. Um, so yeah, I mean, we'll watch this space and see how, how it works, but I think definitely for for a lot of travelers into and out of Germany, this will be a huge bonus. Mm, definitely. I mean, I, I don't mind the e-gates at Heathrow, although there always seems to be somebody in the queue in front of me who's absolutely clueless as to how to use them. So and despite it telling the them to go and see the person at the desk about yeah. 10 times, they're still standing there trying to shove their passport into the reader. But uh, <laughs> I think this experience. is the main problem I observe in Frankfurt because, you know, especially when I was going out to Kazakhstan a couple of weeks ago, uh, the main queue to use the e-gates was actually people who couldn't use the e-gates trying to use them and not realizing mm. <laughs> so um yeah maybe it'll fix that a little bit <laughs> mm, who knows <laughs> yeah we'd love to hear your experiences with the e-gates as well i think they're a great invention when they work well but you mm. know when they don't it's not so good <laughs> anyway i think that's all we've got time to talk about today on our podcast we hope you enjoyed it and welcome your feedback at editorial at simpleflying.com for more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do leave us a rating on your favourite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye.